Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time to come and hear your word today, Lord. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would open our hearts to hear your word. Hear what you have to say, say to us today, Lord. Here, let, let us hear what you have to teach us. Let our hearts be opened. And Lord, transform us by the power of your holy and inerrant word. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Pride comes before the fall. As Pepio rounded the final turn of the 2015 Pepsi Invitational Steeple Chase run, he glanced back behind him to see the other racers who were far behind him. He thought to himself, I've got this one in the bag. So as he headed down that final stretch, he began to slow his pace. He looked over to the crowd and began to wave at them and motion them to cheer him on as he won the race. But his celebration proved to be premature. For as he slowed to wave on the victory cheers, Marion Simmon came by him in the last second to win the race. Pride comes before the fall. Pride is a terrible sin that affects every part of our walk in life, even our spiritual walk. We need to be aware today of spiritual pride, and that's what our text today teaches us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 13 is where we are this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 13. You can turn with me there if you will. If you do not have a Bible with you, you can pick up one of the pew Bibles there and turn to page 900 in the pew Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 through 13. The Corinthians, as you will remember, they're boasting in their Christian freedom. They're boasting in their Christian freedom. They're, they're boasting in their liberty in Christ. They are demonstrating spiritual pride. And so Paul warns them to beware of spiritual pride lest you fall. Beware of spiritual pride lest you fall. And that warning extends to us today. Especially in the American church today, there is a lot of spiritual pride. Christians are using their spiritual freedom to, as an excuse to do all kinds of sin, all kinds of activity. So we should beware of our spiritual pride lest we fall. And so from this text today, we're going to see two lessons. First one is a warning. The second one is an encouragement if you found your place there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as an example for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents." nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer, destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 
Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Amen. May Lord, the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Now, if you remember, back in chapter 9, Paul gave himself as an example of one who, has, who had Christian freedom. He had liberty in Christ, but he had given up his freedom for the benefit of others. So he set himself as a good example. Follow my example. Uh, the, the Corinthians were boasting in their liberty, so much so that they were doing things that were causing other Christians, weaker Christians, to stumble in their faith. And Paul said, that's wrong. Don't do that. Instead, follow my example. I surrender my liberty. I set my liberty aside. I make myself a slave to others for the sake of the gospel so that others may have that benefit, the benefit of knowing the gospel, hearing the gospel, knowing the gospel, receiving the gospel. And that's what he calls us to do. So he's the good example. Now he gives us the bad example in Israel. We see the bad example of Israel as Israel came out of Egypt and they were wandering in the wilderness. So let's look at Israel's bad example there in that first paragraph or first little bit of the, the text. Notice what he says there. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, that is Israel of old, were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. That's the Red Sea. They passed through the Red Sea to uh, escape e Egypt. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. So you, you kind of see the, the comparison that Paul is trying to, to lead into. Israel in their exile out of Egypt, coming out of Egypt, they were a type, they were a foreshadowing of the church. Uh, they were baptized into Moses. They shared a baptism, not like our baptism, but similar. They, they passed through the Red Sea in God's deliverance. God departed the Red Sea and they passed through it. So he says they were baptized into Moses. They ate of the spiritual food of God, right? They ate at the Lord's table. God provided for them manna in the wilderness. And every time that there was no water, he provided for them water. Several, a couple of times out of a rock, right? Moses tapped the rock and, and water came out. And so God provided for them. And so we can see that same kind of thing in our own day and time. We are part of the church if you're a member of the church, then you've been baptized and, and you share in the Lord's table. You receive the, the Lord's Supper when we observe it. it. You may be spiritual like Israel was spiritual, but the question is, have you responded to the, the grace of God? You've experienced the grace of God. Right? You've experienced some of the grace of God at being a part of the church, being a member of the church. You, you've experienced, you've, you've been through the baptismal waters, you've ate at the Lord's table, you've experienced the fellowship of believers, you've experienced God's grace to some extent, but how have you responded to God's grace? Israel, they were very spiritual. They were very spiritual. They had partaken of the Lord's Supper, so to speak. They had been baptized, so to speak. They were very spiritual, but look what that text says there. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. That's an interesting sentence. 
That's an interesting sentence. For the most of them, they experienced God's grace. God brought them out of bondage, out of Egypt, to be his people. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with all of them because he overthrew them in the wilderness. What does it mean to please God? How how do we please God? We don't please God with just kind of rote obedience. We please God through faith, right? How did Abraham please God? It wasn't through his absolute obedience. It wasn't through struggling with the law. Abraham didn't even have the law. But Abraham believed God, he had faith in God, and his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And then what? His faith took action. His faith changed his life. He believed God, he trusted God. And so the passage that we read earlier this morning in our scripture reading, Abraham, because of his faith, because of his belief in God, his trust in God, When God said, go sacrifice your son, your only son, Abraham showed me the way. He obeyed God. His faith took action. But what about Israel? What about Israel? How did they respond to God's grace? Though they experienced God's grace, they did not respond to God's grace by faith. They responded to God's faith, uh, God's grace with, with rebellion. Look at verse 6. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. They did the wrong thing. They didn't desire God. They desired evil. They desired sin. And so Paul's going to show us four examples. He could have showed us more if you've read uh, through the book of the law, if you've read through Numbers and and, uh, Deuteronomy and and, uh, Exodus, you you know that he could have shown us much, much more. But he gives us four examples. And I think these four examples coincide with some of those things that are going on there in the church of Corinth. Do not be idolaters, verse 7 says, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. The people of Israel responded to God's grace by committing idolatry. Now, you know this story. This is this what Paul is quoting here is from uh, Exodus chapter uh, 32, verse 6. They sat down, ate, drank and rose up to play. Exodus chapter 32, verse 6. But that is the the whole narrative there, the whole episode of Israel building the golden calf. So before that, just before that uh, event took place, God had come down to Mount Sinai. The people had come out of Egypt. They're now at Mount Sinai. God comes down on Mount Sinai. He talks to the people directly. They hear his voice from the mountain. He gives him verbally his Ten Commandments and says, I'm going to covenant with you. And the people with their mouth say, Amen. Let's covenant with you, God. Amen. Right? With their mouth, they said, Amen. Let's let's make this covenant. Let's make it happen. And, And so they went through all of the ritual things to make this covenant with God. Then Moses goes up on Mount Sinai. He goes up there to to get the written word of God. God writes it all out for him on the stone tablets and, and he gives him more instruction for Israel. But he's up there for 40 days and for 40 nights. And the people of Israel, they think, where's Moses? It's been a little over a month now. Where's Moses? He's gone. Aaron, since Moses is gone, build us an idol so we can worship it. Build us an idol. And Aaron builds them an idol. Four days after verbally saying, yes, Lord, now they're breaking the second commandment. The first, have no other gods before me. The second, build no images. And here they are. They built an image and they commit idolatry by worshiping that which is not God. 
you know, we think about in our own lives. What is idolatry? We don't, we don't build, we don't build, you know, idols. We don't build statues and bow down before statues anymore. Nevertheless, there are, we, we do worship idols. All of us have a tendency to worship idols. I love John Calvin. Calvin says in his uh, Institutes of Christian Religion, he says the human heart is a factory of idols. Our heart is a factory of idols. What is an idol? When you get down to an what an idol actually is, an idol is anything, any person, anything that we put above God, that's an idol. That's an idol. It could be your bank account. It could be your, your wife. It could be your husband. It could be your children. It could be your grandchildren. It could be your job. It could be football. It could be whatever. Hunting and fishing, whatever it is. It could be anything. Anything that you put in your life and, and you put it above God. It's a priority in your life above God. That's an idol. And let's be honest with ourselves. We have a tendency to make lots of idols. We have a tendency to put a lot of things in our lives above God. Paul says, don't commit idolatry. Don't commit idolatry. Don't worship the things of this world. Worship God. And the response of faith is to at least try to push out idolatry and worship God. Israel, they responded to God's grace with idolatry. Second, they responded to God's grace with sexual immorality and these two are, are intimately tied together. In fact, we see that. Do not commit idolatry as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Most commentators say that rose up to play is kind of a euphemism for committing sexual immorality. And, and you know, history, over the course of history, idolatry is often tied to sexual immorality. And when, when the people of Israel, they sat down and they ate and drank, they, they made sacrifices to this idol, then they got good and drunk, and, and then they began to do all kinds of sexually immoral things in connection with this, this worship to this idol. And that often takes place with idolatry. Uh, and then he goes on there, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 uh, fell in a single day. Now that little, little verse there is referring to Numbers chapter 25, verses one through nine. And this is the, the, the incident where the people of Israel worship the Baal of Peor. Baal of Peor. Now, you, you might remember the, the story, the episode of Israel's history where Balak, the Moabite king Balak, he hired Balaam, the prophet, to come and curse Israel. But every time Balaam opened up his mouth to curse Israel, out came a blessing. And so uh, Balak, King Balak, he was furious at Balaam because he hired him to... To, to curse Israel, and yet three times over he blessed them. But Balaam, he wanted to please Balak because he wanted Balak's money. And, and so he, he told Balak, here's what you do. If you want to curse Israel, uh, don't, don't just hire me to, to, to pronounce a curse. If you want to curse Israel, here's what you do. Instead of cursing them yourself, befriend them. Befriend them. Come buddies with them and entice them to sin against God. And so Balak sent the, the, the prostitutes of Baal into the camp of Israel to make friends with the men of Israel and entice them to come and worship Baal, the Baal of Peor, the Baal of the God of the Moabites. And Baal, he was a fertility god, so for sure, 
connected with him. Sexual immorality was connected to his kind of worship. So he had his, the Baal prostitutes enticing the men of Israel into sexual immorality in worship to Baal. And then you have the one Simeonite man who is so bold in his sin and his sexual immorality that he parades the Midianite prostitute in before Moses and takes her to his tent to do their thing. And Phineas, the priest of God, in his zeal for God's grace and God's glory, rushes in and pierces both of them through. But in that whole incident, incident over 23,000, what does the text say there? Uh, over um, 23,000 fell in a single day. 23,000 people of Israel died because of a plague that God sent into the camp because of their sexual immorality. God judged them. They sinned against a holy God and they judged him. How much more in contemporary, the contemporary church is sexual immorality coming into the church, contam contaminating the church. Our culture, our secular culture around us, we would say is oversexed. It's everywhere. You turn on the TV, you can't find a show that, that doesn't just blow you out with sexual immorality. It's impossible. You got to go back to Andy Griffith and, and well, you can't even get, do gun smoke, right? Because that's in there too. All right. Sexual immorality is everywhere around us. And, and what's the church's answer to that? Quite frankly, if I want to be honest, usually the church's answer to the sexual immorality is let's turn a blind eye. Let's ignore it when it comes into the church, when people are committing sexual immorality in the church. The people of God committing sexual immorality. Let's not address it. Let's turn a blind eye to it. And maybe to go away. Let's just not acknowledge it. And what happens when the people of God ignore sin? In Israel, 23,000 died, 23, died in a single day. In Corinth, we're going to read here a little later on that people in that church are sick and dying due to God's discipline on the church because they're ignoring sin and allowing the church to see corruption. Let's look at the church of America. The church of America is slowly dying. The church of America is dying out because the church in America has turned a blind eye to idolatry and sexual immorality and all kinds of other sins. We do church on Sunday morning and then we go out and do the world the rest of the week. God's judgment is going to come down on the church for turning a blind eye to sin. Israel's response to God's grace was with idolatry, sexual immorality, and third was with testing. Look at verse 9. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpent. Now, this episode in Israel's history comes from Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. Israel, they, they grumble there against God. God is providing for them. He gave them manna from heaven, which was like wafers covered with honey, Scripture says. I mean, that's like eating cake every day and getting healthy off of it. Right? We have these diets with all this nasty food that we have to eat, with no flavor and all that. And, 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 you know, we do all that to get healthy. But God gave them this manna that was like wafers with honey. 
And that was for their good. That was for their health. I mean, it gave all of the sustenance that they needed for their lives. And they complained against God. They complained against God. They put God to the test. Why? Because they wanted what they had back there in Egypt. They wanted the, the, the steak and the stew from, from Egypt. We want that food. We're, we're sick of this manna. We're sick of your provisions, God. Why don't you do something more unique? Why don't you do something more special like give us what we had in Egypt? You see, they wanted one foot in the church. They wanted one foot with God and one foot in the world. And they wanted God to just kind of give them what the world had to offer. They put God to the test. Again, we see that in the church today. People have one foot in the church because we got to be religious. We need a little Jesus. And then they put one foot in the world. And, and really what they want is they want God to give them all that the world has to offer. Give me God, give me God, give me God. I'm not satisfied with your provision. I'm not satisfied with your gracious provision in my life. I want more. I want what the world has. And we put God to the test. Israel committed idolatry. They committed sexual immorality. They put God to the test. And man, did they ever grumble. Verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, if you look at back into Numbers and uh, Exodus and you, you look at the history of Israel and their wilderness time, you, you see a lot of occasions where they grumbled against God. I think the, the reference that Paul has to here comes from Numbers chapter 16. And this is the, the grumbling of Korah and his counterparts and Korah's rebellion. Korah and three other men rebelled against, they, they grumbled against God's leadership, against Moses and against Aaron. Korah and the other three men, they were Levites. And they came to Aaron and said, now what right is it of you, Aaron, that you get to go into the temple and you get to give sacrifices and we can't do that? We should have a right to do that too. And Moses said, you're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against God. This is what God has done. This is what God has, has prescribed. You're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against God. Grumbling against God's leadership. And how did God respond? If you go back to that text, you find out that God responded by killing 250 men. The destroyer, the angel of the Lord came down in fire and consumed 250 men who stood in rebellion against God. And on top of that, Korah's whole household, along with the three other men and their whole household, were swallowed up by the earth. They were swallowed alive in God's judgment. The people of Israel responded to God's grace by rebellion. With rebellion, by committing idolatry, sexual immorality, by testing God and grumbling against God. They didn't respond in faith. They responded in rebellion and therefore God was not pleased with them. God's grace, dear friend, does not give us a, a free pass to just do whatever we want. And there are so many people today who, who think that. Oh, well, I've walked the aisle. I, I've said amen. I've been baptized. I do all of the things. I'm good, right? I can go do whatever I want to. That's not a response of faith. That's not true saving faith. In fact, James says such faith as that is dead faith. Faith that does not lead to some kind of obedience is dead faith. You're not truly trusting in God. You're not trusting in God. 
You're trusting in your ability to walk an aisle. You're trusting in, in being dunked in the, the, the baptistry. You're trusting in all, all other kinds of things, but you're not trusting in God. Trusting in God means you trust that what he says is good, is good and right and just. So now we get to our warning. Our warning, our first lesson of the text Beware of spiritual pride, lest it lead to your fall. Look at verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. If you think you stand. You see, that was, that was the problem with the Corinthians. Some of them, they thought they stood, right? They, they had pride. They had spiritual pride. Look at me. I'm spiritually mature. I can go down here to the temple of Artemis and I can join my, my unbelieving pagan family and, and all of their worship and I can eat meat at the table of Artemis and, and I can do all of that type of thing. I can join in in their festivities because it's all about grace. And so I can do all that because I'm spiritually strong. I can handle it. They were pride. They were proud in their spirituality. And Paul says, take heed, lest you fall, lest you fall. He's already alluded to the fact that part of their practice in, in, in their spiritual pride, they weren't just going down to the temple to eat meat. They were getting swept into other things like sexual immorality and sexual immoral things. And, and they were getting swept into sin. Oh, church, we need to be careful. We need to be careful not to be built up with, with pride, lest we fall. The Israelites, they had a false sense of security. They boasted in their spirituality. We're the people of God. We're, we're the holy race. We're Abraham's offspring. God would never destroy us. They boasted in their spiritual pride. They had a false sense of security because of, of their lineage, their heritage. I was raised in church. My mama and daddy were, were Christians and, and members of this church. And, and, I, and it's my heritage. I'm a Christian because of my heritage. Yet they did not believe in God. They didn't truly believe in God. They didn't have faith in God. Instead, they rebelled against God. That's the whole evidence of their lack of faith. The evidence of their lack of faith was their rebellion. They didn't trust God. Many in the church have this false sense of security as well. There are some who boast in your spirituality. I've been a member XX years. My mom and daddy, my grandma and grandpa, they were all Christians. They were all members of, of this church or that church. It's my heritage. I was baptized. I was, I've, I've, I've partaken of the Lord's table. I, I've taught a Sunday school class. I've done all of these things. You, you, you're boasting and you have this false sense of security. Yet you're far from God. And the evidence is in your life. Though you may profess Christ on Sunday, you live in the world the other five days of the week, or six days of the week. You don't love God, you love yourself. You have a false sense of security. If you are a Christian, dear friend, if you're a true believer, if you've experienced the grace of God in your life and you've responded in faith, something spectacular has happened in your life. God has changed your heart. We need to understand that. As Baptists, we kind of get scared of talking about this because we're afraid we might slip into works-based salvation. Let me, un let me make myself clear. We're not talking about works-based salvation. You cannot save yourself by works. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a free gift of God, lest anyone should boast. It's not about you working your way into heaven. It's not about you living in obedience so that God will be pleased for you and you can enter into heaven. No, it's not about that. But go on and read the rest of that that passage there in in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a free gift of God. Lest anyone should boast. For, listen to this, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Guess what? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. God created you in Christ Jesus. You are His workmanship. He created you in Christ Jesus for obedience, for good works. Does it mean you're you're not going to sin? Does it mean you're not going to struggle? We're going to have our struggles. We're going to have our stumbles. We're going to have our falls for sure. But here's the difference between a believer whose heart's been transformed by God's grace and an unbeliever who's just kind of going through the motions. A believer, when he sins, when he falls flat on his face and he sins against God and, and, and he's down, God's Spirit speaks to his heart. He's convicted about that sin. And he turns to God and says, God, I've sinned against you. Please forgive me. In Christ Jesus, forgive me and give me strength to get up and to go again. And he or she gets up by the power of God's grace and begins his walk again. There's a conflict in the heart of a believer There's a conflict between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh wants sin. It wants to indulge in sin. It wants to commit idolatry. It wants to commit sexual immorality. It wants to test God. It it wants to grumble against God. It wants all of those things. But then the spirit wants to obey God and follow God and wants to be like Jesus. And Paul says this is a constant conflict Right. I I, I do one thing. I want to do one thing and I do another. Paul says he he has this conflict and that's the conflict in the believer's heart. Sometimes we sin. But the difference is the desire. There's an inward desire, a spiritual desire to be like Christ. And our sin affects us. We don't want to do that. Our our desires have been changed. We We don't want to do that. The flesh wants to do that. Our spirit doesn't want to do that. We want to be like Jesus. And so, friend, if you're struggling with sin and you have that fight going on inside you and and yeah, you stumble and sometimes you fall flat on your face, you fall into sin. If that struggle is in you, oh, you can have some assurance there that God's spirit is working in your heart. He's with you and empowering you. Now for the person who is a non-believer, maybe they may be a church member, they may have been baptized, they may observe the Lord's Supper, they may do all the things, they, they may uh, come to church every Sunday and go to Sunday school class. But here's the difference, the unbeliever who's just going through the motions, when he sins, oh well, God has to forgive me. There's no conflict. There's no conflict. The Spirit's not inside you saying, wait a minute, hold on, this is wrong. This is not what God wants for my life. I I need to do what God wants me to do. There's no conflict. If you can sin and there's no conflict in your life, beware. Beware. You might boast in your spirituality. You might boast in your membership of the church. You might boast in all kinds of things, but beware. If there's no conflict in your heart, beware lest you fall. Don't fall in false security. Turn to Christ. 
Others in the church think that, uh, as Paul says in Romans, let's sin all the more so that grace may abound. Let's sin all the more so grace may abound. I mean, we're forgiven in Christ, right? We have this freedom in Christ. So it's all about God's grace. So let's show off God's grace and sin all the more. There's a lot of Christians like that who use God's freedom, freedom from the law, use God's grace as an excuse to sin. That's those who Paul is addressing in Romans. And he says, God forbid God forbid we do that. That's not what God recreated us to be. That's not who God wants for us to be. He wants us to be like Christ. No, not sin all the more that grace may abound. Let grace abound and change your life. Transform you. If you do continue to rebel against God as a Christian... Let me assure you that God is not just going to simply let that slide. God disciplines those whom he loves. And if you're living in sin, thinking, let me sin all the more that grace may abound. If you're a child of God and you're living in sin, watch out. Lest you fall. Because God will discipline you. He will discipline you. He will come into your life and he will stop you from sinning some way, somehow. If you have a cavalier attitude source toward sin, dear friend, beware of spiritual pride lest you fall. Well, that's the warning hard-hitting as it is. But Paul doesn't want us to keep us down with this strong rebuke, this strong warning. He also wants to encourage us. And here's the encouragement that we learn from this text. The cure for spiritual pride is humble faith in God. The cure for spiritual pride is humble faith in God. Notice, it's not pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and get on with it. It's humble faith in God. Notice what Paul says there in verse 13. No temptation has over, overtaken you that ha, is not common to man. Boy, that's a comfort in itself right there. Sometimes we feel like when sin and temptation comes into our lives, we think uh, no one knows this temptation like I know this temptation. No one has been tempted like I'm being tempted in this moment. No one has felt this, this sin, this pull of sin I'm feeling in my life. Yes, they have. Yes, they have. How often people, we, we as Christians even, we feel ashamed because of, of thoughts that we have or temptations that we have. And we think, well, well, no one else has this temptation. How horrible, how pathetic I am. Let me assure you, dear Christian, there's nothing new under the sun. No matter how vulgar and bad you think that temptation is in your life, that draw of sin is in your life, be assured Others have experienced that same temptation. There's likely people around you who are experiencing that same temptation, that same sin. And they could build you up and strengthen you. No temptation befalls you that hasn't, that is not common to the rest of mankind. Then notice what he says. God is faithful. Israel, they were rebellious. You have been rebellious. At times, we're all a little faithless. Nevertheless, God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Dear friend, when you are tempted by sin, when sin is drawing you and pulling on you and you, you feel like you're about to give in, trust God. 
Trust God's faithfulness. Trust that God will protect you. Trust God's protection. Trust God's protection. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. God is sovereign. He is sovereign. Any temptation that you face, God doesn't tempt you, but he allows you to be tempted. He allows you to be tempted. But the promise here is that when he allows us to be tempted, he does not allow us to be tempted so that that we have to fall. He doesn't allow us to be tempted beyond our ability to resist that temptation. Now, sometimes we give in to it anyway. But it's not because God has allowed that temptation to go beyond our ability. He says, I'm not going to do that. I will protect you. He allows us to be tempted. Why? Because he wants us to, to grow stronger. Think about a father with a child who's learning to walk. The father allows the child to to stumble around and and have their falls and all of that. Why? Because they want the child to get stronger and and learn to to, to run one day. Now, the father is not going to let the child stumble around on a ledge. He's going to protect the child. He's going to put bumpers up on corners and and all of those kinds of things to protect the child. But but we're going to let him walk so, so he can get strong. And so it is with God. He allows us to be tempted, not so that we would fall, but so that we could get strong, have a stronger resistance towards sin and temptations to sin. God protects us. Second, we must trust God's provision. God's provision. Going on there, he says, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. God will provide a way of escape. So you have that sin in your life, that sin, that temptation to sin comes around. You're you're feeling that pull, that draw to that sin. And you're moving towards it. You're moving towards it. But God says, number one, I'm protecting you. Number two, I'm also providing you an avenue of escape. Here's the thing. When God provides us an avenue of escape, we've got to take it. Sometimes you got to put that phone down. You got to turn the computer off. You you got to you got to turn around from that situation. You've got to take that way, that avenue of escape, but God provides it. When temptation comes, we've got to trust God's protection and we've got to trust God's provision. Third, we got to trust God's power. Notice that last little bit there. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That you might be able to endure it. He gives you the ability to endure the temptation, to resist the temptation, to turn away from the temptation by his divine power. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have this assurance that the Holy Spirit is living in us. He doesn't keep us from being tempted, but he gives us the power to resist temptation. He gives us the power to live in obedience. You have to understand, dear friend, it's not about you and your ability. It's about God and his ability. It's not about living in in some kind of just blank obedience, but it's about trusting God so that you may live in obedience. It's all about God's grace. God is the power behind our salvation. But it's by grace through faith, trusting in God. Sin and temptation abound and left to ourselves, we would have little hope of resisting. But God is gracious. If you want to conquer sin in your life, don't boast in your spirituality. Don't boast of of your maturity as a Christian. 
Because the fact of the matter is, matter is that you can never get it done on your own. None of us can. Rather, trust in God. Trust God. He loves you and he will deliver you. I love that old hymn. Have faith in God. Though all else fail about you, have faith in God. He provides for his own. He cannot fail, though all kingdoms shall perish. He rules and reigns upon his throne. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches o'er his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Are you trusting in God today? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins. So that you might be forgiven in Christ. And have life in Christ. He also sends his Holy Spirit into your life to change you. To make you like Jesus. He gives you the strength and the ability to resist temptation and live in obedience. If you'll only trust him. Trust God today. Heavenly Father. Lord, as we read about Israel's bad example, Lord, we, if we're honest, we, we look at our own lives and, and we see rebellion sometimes. We see disobedience in our own, own lives. We see sin in our own lives. And Lord, as followers of Jesus Christ, as Christians, it bothers us. Lord, we long for the day that we will be made perfect in Christ. Oh, but Lord, we trust you to give us power over sin. It's not by our power and our might, but it's by your grace alone, oh Lord, that we might live in obedience as an example of your grace to this lost and dying world. Help us, oh Lord. Strengthen us in our walk. And Lord, I know that there's certainly those who are here today or are watching or listening in, Lord, who've never trusted in Jesus. Maybe they're trying to do it on their own. Maybe they're trying to live in obedience and in frustration. They, they, they experience fall after fall after fall. Lord, let them not boast in spiritual pride. Let them not boast in their own ability but humbly let them trust in you and the salvation that you provide in Christ Jesus our Lord. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.